Hi, this is Steve O'Mooney, and you're listening to another great show only on the 4i Radio Network. For more great shows, feel free to check out www.4iradio.com. Wallop and web snappers. My spider sense is tingling, tingling, tingling. Anybody else's spider sense tingling? Welcome to Walloping Web Snappers, a Spider-Man podcast where we dive into every Spider-Man cartoon ever made. I'm Derek. And I'm Doug. And is your spider sense tingling? You know, I actually think that's just my natural bestial instincts. Oh, well, good for you. (laughs) (laughs) To listen to this show, find us on 4iradio.com and wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by Revenge Lover Designs, illustration and design that fit your personality. For samples and inquiries, visit revengelover.com. And we're back in the show that everyone hates, but we apparently love. Yeah. I, uh... (laughs) I, I, you know what? I, this, there's no point to this because this is recorded and anybody can pull it up and reference back to it. But I'm just going to love this show unabashedly no matter what. <laughs> Declaring it here and now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Even if it's yeah. terrible, I'm going to love it. Deal with yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. Look. <laughs> Only one person on this podcast is going to be impartial and it's Derek. <laughs> it's spider-man on another planet with like a rebel force in class warfare with a bunch of furries like what how can you not how is that the best thing in the world yeah it's incredible (laughs) it's incredible i think the only thing that could possibly have made it better is if the furries were not the power class (laughs) but i guess it's probably more interesting that way because it's less expected and it's easier as a uh, an unfortunate loser human person to identify with the uh, the heroes in this situation. Yeah, well, and as we already start to see in this one, like the the bestial people aren't all just like a bunch of assholes. Like yeah. they all seem to just be normal people. Uh-huh. It's really just the ones in power that are causing the problems, and the bestials seem to just be kind of blissfully ignorant. So yes. Yes, it gets it gets pretty pretty uh, intricately into some of that class type conflict uh, pretty pretty quickly in this show. It makes uh-huh. me really want for more uh, of of this, and probably more than we're gonna get, unfortunately. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. So if that didn't tip you off, we're continuing talking about Spider-Man Unlimited. Uh, listen to our last episode for some behind the scenes production history and the first part of this two-parter the making of the show is very 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 interesting and very fascinating Mm -hmm. i would actually recommend i'm sure that we have some listeners who aren't super interested in the production stuff but if you are somebody who doesn't love that stuff as much i would really recommend listening to the unlimited production stuff i always find the production stuff interesting but i think that in this case it provides some context for a show that I don't know that everybody has the context for, or at least I hope it would. Yeah. Uh, and I think in this particular case for a show that isn't beloved as some of the other things we've watched, that context is important. So I would highly, highly, highly recommend that. Yeah. It explains a lot of why this show is what it is, uh, which, you know, the main problem people have with it is that it is what it is. But <laughs> I think what it is 
ends up being a lot smarter and, and headier than people give it credit for. So yeah, yeah. Just just based on these two episodes, uh, I think I've fallen completely in love with this show. And like I said, gone on the record saying I absolutely hated it for the long longest time. But we are all stupid children once, and we <laughs> all grow up eventually and become stupid adults with better views on things hopefully yes. so yes. that's where we are now <laughs> stupid children turning into stupid adults but stupid adults with better taste <laughs> yes exactly. more refined exactly. taste more refined taste. more refined taste for furry alien creatures on counter earth <laughs> well yeah i mean yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh boy we are talking about Spider-Man Unlimited Season 1, Episode 2, entitled Worlds Apart, Part 2. Another very long synopsis per IMDb. Thank you, whoever you kind writer is who is giving us this wonderful material um, that I'm about to read for the first time right now. Spider-Man reaches his destination on Counter-Earth and finds out that John Jameson survived the crash. He has become a member of a rebellion fighting against the forces of the High Evolutionary, a figurehead who hates humans and creates animal mutant hybrids called the Bestials. Spider-Man then joins the group and moves in with a single mother, Dr. Naoko Yamada-Jones, and her son, Shane Jones. That one was good. That was good. I mean, it was just the whole episode. <laughs> yeah, I don't really... Yeah, that. well, that's true. <laughs> I don't really uh, take as many issues uh, with that yeah. one as with the first episode description. Nothing yeah. to really contend there. Yeah, guess uh, not. Well, yeah. the original air date was October 9th, 1999. It was written and directed by all of the same people as part one. So Michael Reeves, Will Muneau, and directed by Patrick Archibald, which we talked about extensively about them last week. Good, good folks. Like I mentioned in our last episode, the way that these unlimited episodes are structured, the characters aren't always introduced very quickly. And so... We won't always do one for one, this is when the character was introduced, but we will introduce characters kind of as they become more important in their role. Uh, This is an episode where we're going to see a character that I'm feeling pretty confident will be a bigger character later, but they've simply been seated, so we're not going to mention them this time. Mm -hmm. So the characters we are going to talk about, the Knights of Wondegore, who we did see in the second half of the first episode, consist of Lord Tiger, Ursa, Lady Vermin, and Sir Ram. And they are voiced by David Sobolov, or Sabolov. And he voices, and looks like, to be quite honest, and I will (laughs) send you a picture, Derek. Okay. Drax in the animated Guardians of the Galaxy series, and the other series in that shared universe, because they all borrow characters from one another. He voices Grodd in the CW's The Flash. Oh, wow. Yeah, Shockwave in Transformers Prime. He's the voice of the Spooky Jar in Sabrina the Animated Series, (laughs) which makes me very happy. That's so funny. And, believe it or not, he's the voice of freaking RoboCop in RoboCop Alpha Commando. Because, of course, he's the voice of RoboCop. Wow. Um, He also does a lot of video game voice work. And, as you can see... Oh, my lord, I just saw the picture. (laughs) Does not just voice Drax, but seemingly embodies Drax. Drax is not as hairy as he is. (laughs) No. Well, yeah, he's making up for the lack of full body tattoos with full body hair. (laughs) Wowie zowie. He's the Urso to Ursa from this show. Uh Uh-huh. Yep. 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 (laughs) Damn. Figured it was worth sharing that. uh, I thoroughly enjoyed that. (laughs) Moving on. (laughs) Speaking of Ursa, uh, who for some reason I thought 
the first time I watched through these, I thought her name was Ursula. I thought so too. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I thought. But it's, I, I believe the character is credited as Ursa. So TBD on whether that clarifies itself, but I definitely thought her name was Ursula. So, ooh. yeah. Uh, she is voiced by Tasha Sims. Uh, this actually, Spider Man Unlimited, is one of her longer roles, alongside providing voices for the 1989 Babar series and the 90s Action Man series, which is, is one of the shows that actually comes up a lot for voice actors who would have been voicing for this show as well. Uh, they must be sort of from the same pool of things, mm-hmm. uh, as well as appearing on screen in half a dozen episodes, each of a show called Cold Squad and Shadow Raiders. Hmm. I do love that the like burly barbarian character is like a woman in this. Mm-hmm. Like, that's so cool. Like, that's yeah. so, so uh, actually this show does some just based on this episode. I feel like the show is making some nice, neat strives for diversity. And yeah, like I trying agree. to like give women cooler roles and like getting fewer just white people doing things like it's pretty cool. Yeah, well, it, it it takes full advantage of the fact that even though this series says that it is taking place in present day, which at the time would have been 1999, their setting is much more futuristic. And so they don't have to justify things that are for whatever reason, unfortunately seen as futuristic concepts, uh, <laughs> like people of color, <laughs> um, doing things in the far future, there will be brown people. <laughs> I know. Right. Uh, but it takes full advantage of that, that weird thing that people do, which is assume that, uh, homogeny is killed in the future and not right now every day as we're living. So right, uh, right. I appreciate them for for taking advantage of that weird, bizarre human uh, misconception that we we have. So yes, um, yeah, Ursa or Ursula is dope, uh, and I I'm excited to see what role she plays further. Hopefully, hopefully a decent one. Yeah, yeah. Lady Vermin um, is probably the knight that we're going to see the most of, if not Lord Tiger. That's the impression I'm getting. Yeah. And her casting backs it up. She's voiced by Jennifer Hale, uh, whom we first discussed in our second episode ever as the Mm -hmm. voice of Felicia Hardy in the 90s animated series. She's fucking awesome. She's in a ton of shit. And if you want to hear more about her and the stuff that she does hop back in time to our second episode where we yes. talk about her. And she does voice Mary Jane in the first episode of this show too. Oh, mm-hmm. nice. I, mm-hmm. uh, I didn't even think to look at that because I figured, well, if Mary Jane's a bigger character, we'll see more of her later. So interesting. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And that carries over into the game too. Cause she voices Mary Jane into the 2000 game. Uh, that makes sense. That makes yep. a lot of sense. Yep. And then finally our last night of Wondagore is Sir Ram, our clear favorite of the four. God. <laughs> His design is cool. I like how he looks. I just well, like yeah, his personality. I, <laughs> I, uh, of the four, I was the most excited about his character. I was exposed to his character through one of our On This Day posts. I think he's in one of the gifts uh, mm. that is included for our Unlimited On This Day. And I was like, ooh, that looks like a cool character. Not not a huge fan. I think the voice actor Ron Halder does a good job. I don't think that this is the voice I would give to a ram, but yeah. I do think it is the voice you would give to a sort of teetering mad scientist character, so I get it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just a little little strange based on how we tend to 
assign personalities to different animals. So whatever. Yeah. Ron Halder does a great job though. Um, he voiced Dr. Tauros in Zoids, Dr. Jones in Transformers Energon. So lots of doctors, Corin and Mayhox in the 2011 Voltron force series beast in a few episodes of the astonishing X-Men and Sabretooth opposite Brian Drummond, uh, who's Ooh. venom in this series in the, I believe limited animated series, Wolverine versus Sabretooth cool cool yes so there are lots and lots of connections and they don't end there because the high evolutionary is voiced by richard newman who also does a lot of stuff and crosses over with a lot of these folks he voiced Mm -hmm. rhinox in beast wars and beast machines as well as in transformers project nemesis he's the voice of m bison in street fighter the animated series alongside a number of folks we've already mentioned in this series he's moriarty in sherlock holmes in the 22nd century alongside john payne who voices john jameson and he appears in a bunch of series we haven't even mentioned yet that actually popped up many times over the course of looking at the cast uh, that might not have seemed significant at the time but are significant sheerly based on the fact that so many of these actors have all been in so many of these shows so um, the list includes ninjago inuyasha oban star racers black lagoon masters of the universe versus the snake men project arms monster farm and dark stalkers each of which i believe feature at least three of the voice actors we've covered so far Um, And we've only covered about seven or eight voice actors. Wow. Wild. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So each of those shows features, I think, anywhere from three to five of the people we've already talked about. Dang. Which is really wild. They got good talent. They got a lot of of, like popular talent for this show. So like all pretty much every, the majority of the names are recognizable. So I'm not surprised. This this show really not phoned in. I mean, they got good people to create and write for it. They got good people to act on it. And they, they went into it taking it seriously with, with some themes that uh, uh, are really sort of astounding. So Yeah, yeah. You know, Sell it. Sell the show. Sell it to the people. <laughs> I, I, I don't have to. The credits speak for themselves. <laughs> I'm definitely not selling this show so that we get a season two via comic book limited series. Definitely not doing that. Yeah, definitely not hoping for a giant spike in views on Disney Plus <laughs> as with alongside every episode we release. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. The giant <laughs> giant walloping web snappers bump that yep. Disney Plus sees. Yep. Definitely not, you know, quitting my job to become a comic book writer so that I can be the one to write the limited series. Definitely not doing that. So, <laughs> I will say, if I had a choice for a continuation of a Spider-Man show, I would still always choose Spectacular Spider-Man. But That is very fair, and I can't even necessarily argue with it, but I feel like I must solely so that both have advocates. Yeah, well, both, <laughs> but I almost feel like the weird licensing stuff of Spectacular Spider-Man makes that one like impossible. And weirdly, I almost feel like this one could be more likely to have some kind of continuation. Cause I yeah, because like I feel like the... people would be like, who cares? Yeah, go for it. Whatever. Right, right. So, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Well, as of now, we've got these 13 episodes and we are on episode two of that. Then we are going to talk about that right now. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Yes. So we do get a, a recap and this show, I think at least based on this episode does a pretty good job with the recaps because it's all the information we need and nothing more. Yes. Nothing more. Nothing less. Definitely better than what the 90s show had been doing for a while. Oh yeah. This episode opens after the recap with Spider-Man still restrained and Sir Ram readying to attempt removal of Spider-Man's nanotech suit with a futuristic handheld circular saw. It has three blades. 
three. Why does it have three blades? Those all three, spin. yeah, those three saw blades, very unnecessary, buddy. <laughs> Sir Ram is not all there. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So this mysterious man that was in a hologram message that we saw at the end of the last episode, their leader, the High Evolutionary, encourages Sir Ram and says that Spider-Man is neither man, beast, nor bestial. So you get kind of a, a hint that, like, there might be more going on to this guy, that, like, maybe he knows more mm-hmm. than it seems like he should know. And we get a little bit of more information about him because he basically just exposits his entire backstory to Spider-Man for whatever reason. Yep. I don't know Very why, helpful for, for us. I think it could, I see it as an ego thing because he could be an unreliable narrator. We don't know how accurate all of this is. And it's basically just pinning him at how, as how great he is. So yeah, I would love if he were an unreliable narrator. I love unreliable narrators. I think they yes. make everything better. Yes. Yes. <laughs> they definitely make things more complicated. But in this case, it makes sense because his whole story is about how great he is. So I, I think it seems like he's the type of character who would just kind of boast how great he is at every opportunity. Ooh, so I love that. Yes. While Spider-Man has like no choice but to listen, he tells him the story of how he was supposedly originally from Earth and found Counter-Earth on a quest seeking utopia. I have doubts about where he's actually from considering the timeline of this and his age and all that stuff. Unless the high evolutionary is just Elon Musk. (laughs) Cause who can even find counter earth just on their own and take a spaceship there. There's a lot of questions (laughs) about who this guy is. And I'm very Uh curious to see if the show is like, has time to clarify it before it ends. Oh, I hope so. Yeah, because I really want to know who he is for real. Oh my gosh, what if my fan fiction career starts with Spider-Man Unlimited? What if we end this show and I'm so distraught at the lack of clarity that for like the first time in my life, I'm like, I must fill in the rest of the story. Yeah. Well, and it's the thing where like, I think he's, I mean, I think all of this, like the Counter-Earth idea and High Evolutionary, I feel like are from the comics, but I, I know, I don't know anything about them. And who knows like what direction the show would have taken, like if it would have been a straight adaptation of those concepts or not. So like these were concepts in the comics think, prior to the show. I thought, because oh. Counter-Earth was a concept in the Knights of Wonderlore were one of the things that Marvel wanted them to use, I think. So, yeah, I mean, true. I yeah, could yeah, be yeah. wrong because hmm. I, I have no basis for it. And I don't know where it would have appeared, but I think that the High Evolutionary was in the comics. So, I don't know. I'll have to look it up. I, I, I haven't really, I've done like no research on the comic side of where this stuff is coming from. Honestly. I kind of, yeah, I've been, I've sort of been avoiding it. Part of that is the assumption that this was just sort of like a wacky show that they came up with because I didn't know any of the, the historical context or production uh, side of things. And uh, part of it was if it was based on something, I kind of don't want to know. Like, I, I'm yeah, just keep this so here for the ride. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because, you know, if I'm right and these are all things from the comics, like they're not elements that most people knew because they are right. super popular ones. That's why they're allowed to use them. So sure, sure. Most people watching this show would have no idea what's going to be coming. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I said, could be wrong. I'll look it up after the fact and see if I'm wrong or not. Yeah. But, um, Evolutionary is saying that when he did discover Counter-Earth, he found that the same quote-unquote human diseases plagued this Earth that plagued his home. So there's war, there's famine, there's poverty. 
And supposedly, I think we learned later that it stated that over 50 years ago is when he showed up. Mm-hmm. Um, and even back then, there's like futuristic like war happening that we see that the that the high evolutionary is watching. So this counter Earth was already like more advanced than Earth was, apparently. Yeah. But it, regardless of that, there's still war and stuff going on and bad stuff that he hates. So he says over decades, he attempted to create a paradise through the advancement of technology and through the creation of bestials, which are these the, the furry people, basically, like animal human or like mutated animals that like yeah. he is like they like they're not human animal hybrids. Mm-mm. They are literally animals that like we see them like shoot a tiger with a ray and then become like naked tiger man, which is cool. Yes. Um, <laughs> so, um, in the first episode, Spider-Man makes a Island of Dr. Moreau reference. Mm-hmm. Um, which I, you know, I, I mentioned last week that the references in the show skew far more towards like classic and historical than they do pop culture references. That's one of them. I forgot to mention it. And this, mm-hmm. I mean, high evolutionary like reeks of Moreau. You know what I yes. mean? Yes. Yes. Which I yes. kind of dig. <laughs> yeah. And his his thought process is that like by just making animals more evolved, they're free of like these human diseases and then they're more everything's more utopian. And I guess they're supposed to be more peaceful and like less greedy or whatever, Um, which, you know, from what we see, it seems like they're just people. So I think this is why I feel like this and the the weirdness of the timeline and like the fact that he hasn't aged in 50 years and Mm -hmm. stuff like makes me feel like he's an unreliable narrator and there's obviously more to him. Yeah. But you know, this is what he's telling us, so we have to <laughs> we have to buy it for now. That's all we've got. I mean, yeah. there is the fact that he is literally presented thus far only as a large hologram head. Oh which yeah. Is so Oz that it's it's you know Both it, it would called make, out. Yeah, it would make perfect sense uh if there yeah. was some weird Oz stuff going on here. Well, we do see him we do see a non hologram version of him on like a view screen, like on Lord Tiger's like communication device though. oh okay so we get a clear view that, of him as a person and he's wearing like a weird like spiky outfit oh <laughs> and i, actually, I like, miss cr- the weird spiky outfit version of him yeah yeah it's a weird <laughs> it's a weird design but even then it's still through a view screen and like only seeing like his head and the and his collar basically so like yeah. you know we still haven't seen him in person oz is still very possible yeah yeah and you know i i don't think the reference that spider-man makes to the wizard of oz very shortly is without reason so yeah yep 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 so spider-man manages to break free from his restraints uh pretty much just because they must have underestimated his strength because he just sort of smashes out of them by flexing and moving a lot um and so he escapes to an area outside the building where he runs into three humans who allege that they have been sent to rescue him Uh, A man that the knights refer to as Bromley sets off an explosion, which allows Spider-Man and his rescuers to escape. Bromley, interesting guy. I like him. We're going to get a little bit more of him just after these opening credits. Yeah, they they do a nice job of teasing the rebel people in little ways. And I know that they, the little that I remember this show, I know that they like do delve into them. And I really like how they handle these sort of like soft introductions of them with like the in- clear intention of saying like they have more depth, though. You're going to learn more about them. Like, yeah. I like that a lot. Yeah, they this show, I mean, has the benefit of coming out after the 90s animated series. Um, so this is not not an indictment on the 90s animated series. But because the show came after that and some of the the 
groundwork was already laid just immediately does such a better job introducing its characters in this first season than the 90s show did Mm -hmm. Um, so it's so nice and refreshing to just sort of be able to to see some of these character introductions and and know kind of right off the bat who we're supposed to pay attention to and get the effective teases as to uh, who we're paying attention to and who who's going to be more important later and all that sort of stuff very very skillful in these first two episodes Yes, yes. It's a good it's just a good pilot two-parter for sure. Mm-hmm. So after the opening credits, uh, Spider-Man and his rescuers are pursued through the city by the knights on their horse-like hover bikes uh, and the same kind of robots as from the first episode. The rescuers and Spider-Man are kind of on like, I guess it's technically a hover car, like a hovering car, but it feels almost like a Star Wars speeder where it's like kind of open, isn't it? Yeah. I couldn't tell if it was that or no, I think it's like a flatbed truck kind of situation. Oh, they're in like the back of a flatbed truck. That makes sense. The bandage dude is driving and where he's, oh. where he's driving is sort of like, um, my God, what do you call the actual like front part of the car that you're in? The cab? Yeah, sure. Like he's he is in an enclosed part of that to drive it, and they're just okay. in the back part of it. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Then yeah, he's the getaway guy. <laughs> yeah, getaway driver. Um, <laughs> well, during this chase, Bromley and another rescuer, who we will eventually learn is named Karen. I just don't remember when we learned that. Share that the High Evolutionary arrived fifty years prior. Confirm that he created the Bestials, turning humans into the dregs of society. Um, so. They are, yeah, I mean, they're humans and they they are directly sort of the recipients of this attempt to replace uh, what the high evolutionary views as a sickness from the planet by creating uh, anthropomorphic animals instead. Yes, yes. And again, so many questions of like how all of this worked and like how this one guy like overthrew everything, which is Mm -hmm. like there's something missing here and it feels very intentional. Yeah. I I hope that that's the case because the fact that they immediately confirm what he said has implications. uh, Mm -hmm. If, if it's not true, you know, like if they are explaining this to Spider-Man as if it is the fact, how did they come to believe that it is fact? You know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that question. Right. Like you really don't know who to believe because the timeline is a little, it's a little weird that like this happened like over 50 years and Mm -hmm. things are like kind of set up the way that they are. But you know, they give you just enough information to just sort of like buy into it and be along with the ride. Yeah. But the questions are still out there and I'm very excited to see if they address them. I feel like this is a good time to talk about Bromley, right? I don't know what a better time is because I'm sure he'll get more. What's that? Because this is like where all the bomb stuff is happening. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. So Bromley's thing is that he's like an explosives expert, I guess, or an explosives enthusiast, probably more Mm -hmm. likely. Interesting character model. Uh, Yeah. I like it. He's sort of, um, he's fascinating. He's like a slightly bigger dude with like blonde hair and I think a ponytail. Yeah. But he's, he's got a British accent and he wears like a sort of a a mismatched outfit that includes a tie with two hearts on it. Yeah. And I think he has like a tattoo that says mum, right? Yeah, he has a tattoo that says mum on his arm because he doesn't wear sleeves. Um, Of course not. (laughs) Yeah. I I don't remember, but he probably wears like cargo shorts and like hiking shoes. Like he just, he's, he's interesting. I think he's a really interesting guy. The rebellion feels like the Terminator rebellion. Like they feel like those types of rebels, but then he feels like a Mad Max character. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, he, yes, yes. I I don't think he will end up being, based on what we've seen, like the heart of the rebellion type character, but I feel like he's almost modeled to be that. Sort of like the, um, 
uh, I, I could have just as easily seen him be the hesitant or resistant, easily emotionally prone member of the resistance who is critical because of his skills, but is like regretful because the actions don't always feel like they justify the the ends. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't think that's who he is because he he throws bombs pretty nearly willy yeah. or willy nilly, whatever, however that phrase goes. <laughs> nilly willy. <laughs> <laughs> nilly willy. Um, but uh, but I, I there's something about him that feels very sort of uh, mismatched in an intentional way. Yeah. And I, I I dig that. I was sort of immediately drawn to him. Yeah. Oh, me too. He's. I mean, I think he's he's meant to be. A kind of attractive character in terms of like big personality mm-hmm. like he's meant to be sort of the one that even kids who don't understand like kind of the bigger conversations that are happening here they're going to like him because he's very funny and charismatic yeah even if there is definitely like a dark side to him that we mm-hmm. that we see later on yes yes yeah uh karen less of a standout thus far uh yep she's just the lady a lot of her yet. <laughs> yeah she's kind of just the lady uh she has red hair which i feel like is a disservice uh to her and to uh mary jane uh mm. i know that like mary jane's not the only one who's allowed to have red hair but i feel like it's iconic it's a different shade because hers is i think i think karen's is technically orange but yeah and it doesn't have the shading that mary jane's hair did right uh but, but I, I it's I don't know. In a Spider-Man environment, I feel like red hair has a very particular sort of like place almost. It's like it's an iconic thing. Yep. Especially so. because mm. ugh, I don't want to skip ahead, but like I okay. don't like I, I don't I mean, like you can. <laughs> I don't. It's he, fine. I feel like this show would have been better I, I to not have Mary Jane in it because they kind of does her a little bit of a disservice because she's in one scene of the first episode. Mm-hmm. And then she's clearly meant to be kind of Peter's heart of the person he wants to get back to. Yes. But the problem is that he flirts real hard with this other redhead, Karen, as soon as he meets her. I can get like behind like playful flirting. Like I can get behind that. You know, maybe maybe MJ's cool with this in a relationship. That's totally fine. But that's not usually like the classical traditional way that they handle things. Right. And the way that he flirts with Karen is very much like very flirty and even making a reference to like, I wish girls invited me to penthouses, not the sewer or whatever. And it's yeah. like, but you're either married and or in a very committed relationship with this girl that you like are desperate to get back to who you left alone <laughs> to go on this mission that you might have died in, leaving her worried and alone. Yeah. No way to contact her. It feels a little tone deaf and I wouldn't, and I could be, I'll be fine with it because Peter is allowed to flirt. Girls always like Peter and Spider-Man, but like it would have worked better if he wasn't already in a relationship with Mary Jane. Well, yes, that's, see, that's the thing, right? Like we're used to an awkward sort of weird Peter when it comes to relationships and girls and stuff, but they so clearly demonstrate to us in the first episode that they are in some sort of firmly committed relationship and they didn't have to do that. Yeah. So it's, it's a little weird. I'm yeah. I'm nervous about the Karen, not the Karen character. I'm nervous for whatever they might do with the Karen character. They haven't really given me a reason not to trust them yet. Yeah. So I'm, I'm pretty half and half, but I'm still like a little bit nervous. Uh, And I just I hope that whatever whatever happens with him and Karen, if it does go that route, informs what's going on and isn't just sort of, well, Mary Jane's stuck at home, but we still want to have some sort of like love interesty type character. So introduce Karen, right? Uh, especially when Lady Vermin exists. Yes. I love that dynamic so much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that, I think that Spider-Man specifically flirting in a very obviously exaggerated or facetious way 
with a sort of femme fatale character feels very different um, for what it means for him and Mary Jane. It feels like it means nothing for him and Mary Jane, right? Yeah. Then for him to potentially be flirting with or expressing interest in this otherwise pretty normal, uh, everyday, just sort of attractive girl. Right. So right. Uh, TBD on Karen. <laughs> yep. But thus far, yep. Karen, not that interesting. <laughs> no. Didn't know her yeah. name, had to look it up, watched this episode three times. Yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, where were we? Oh, I guess. Okay. So, yeah, they're, they're escaping. They destroy a bunch of the Knights Robot Enforcers and get to the scene that we were kind of just talking about where Spider-Man Force with Karen. <laughs> Basically, they're leading him to their sewer hideout. So, or at least the sewers lead to their secret hideout. So go into the sewers. They go to the secret hideout, which is the headquarters of the human revolution. Unbeknownst to them, Lady Vermin was following them. So she sees the entrance and she follows them. Everyone um, in this show, really bad at not being tracked. Dude, seriously, you're the fucking like, you're like kind of the leaders of this resistance. And you're just like not even looking around the corner. Like, I don't <laughs> Real bad. Real bad. <laughs> yeah. And they're so shocked later where it's just like our headquarters is compromised. And it's just like, that was so your fault. Like, yeah. so your fault. Yeah. There's a little detail later on where they get into like tracking and surveillance and stuff. But I feel like it doesn't at all excuse the fact that Lady Vermin was like 12 feet behind them. And it's just like, oh, that's where they are. And they also, they leave the manhole cover off the the manhole. <laughs> They don't even put it back. <laughs> you need Spider-Man guys because y'all are bad at this. <laughs> yeah, for real, for real. <laughs> well, Lady Vermin does see them go there and she fully intends to follow and she reports this back to Lord Tiger. Uh, he offers to meet up with her to assist in, I guess, infiltrating their base. But the High Evolutionary actually instructs Lord Tiger to leave the job just to Lady Vermin and the evolutionary's specialists. He sends he's the he says he's sending in some specialists, which yes. we can kind of figure out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Lord Tiger's really pissed at this too. So yes, I am yes. very interested to see what they do with him because I like that they are already very clearly setting up this tension uh-huh. within the ranks of the knights. Star scream, star scream. Uh huh. <laughs> right, right. But like a nobler, like a noble, the noble version of the star scream. Yeah, where it's that's like a good point. I can see him betraying them or something like that, but it would be for like actual good reasons, which is really cool. Oh yeah, I didn't even consider that. Yeah, okay. Because hmm. all of his wow. stuff has been like, like, oh, what Spider... Like, he's been complimenting Spider-Man the entire mm-hmm. time. <laughs> yeah, so. no, and that would actually be a good other side to Lady Vermin, who I think Spider-Man probably has more fun with, but is mm-hmm. clearly more of the sort of villainous character among the knights. Yes. Aside from yes. Sir Ram, who really just seems like fucked up. Yeah, he just seems like very sadistic and sociopathic in general, but... Uh-huh. You know. He's kind of boring <laughs> and weird and annoying, and I don't get him. Yeah. Yeah. Lord Tiger, I'm down with him. I'm excited to see more with him. Interesting. I am now. I, 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 wouldn't, I wasn't really thinking about him all that much, but now I am. Yeah. Yeah. One interesting thing is when Spidey gets to the headquarters and they, like, call out that this is the human revolution, he has a line where he says, I thought I went through a space warp, but it's beginning to look more like a looking glass regarding the line human revolution, which is really interesting to huh. me. Yeah, like he calls out human revolution. Like that's what he's talking about. And like, is it like, I guess he's calling out the, I don't know, like class disparity in general. And like any time that like a lower class or like mistreated people rise up in general, like 
it's obvious. Obviously, like that's a thing that's happened in history. But the fact that Spider-Man like calls it out in a way that feels like he's trying to make a commentary on like current events or like current society yeah. is very interesting to me. Yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess that's uh, yeah, that's the moment where he he's sort of like this isn't some sort of like weird dystopian situation. This is just like anywhere else, and just yeah. like where I came from. This isn't far fetched or distant from from me and New York and and Earth. Right, which is why I feel like I feel like the writers kind of had an interesting they had they had their fingers kind of lightly on like some kind of political pulse. That's like that's why I kind of felt like like the nationalist stuff in the first one, mm-hmm. I felt like it was there. And in this one, like he didn't need to call out the fact that like human revolutions happen on my earth too. Like right. that's almost kind of a given in sci-fi and the fact that he wants to make it a point to connect that thread like for the viewers, I guess. I feel like that feels very intentional given the fact that so much of this, like the whole premise of this show now is like the lower class rising up to take down the upper class. Like that's so, which is the thing that's like so relevant in conversation right now. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) it's very interesting to see that like so deliberately called out in a Spider-Man show. Hey guys, guess what? Spider-Man Unlimited, maybe not terrible. Huh? weird Maybe. right <laughs> still got 11 episodes to go <laughs> yeah yeah i mean it could fall apart it could fall apart but uh spider-man but, unlimited know. pilot two-parter great yes yes definitely definitely all right so let's see they're inside the headquarters now right yes yes so spider-man learns that he is one of very few who have actually been allowed entry into the secret base this seems like a contentious decision i i like that they sort of detail that um, and a voice from the shadows insists Spider-Man prove that he's not an imposter before revealing that the voice is actually just John Jameson. <laughs> Drama queen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's no real mystery there, uh, but whatever. Okay, that's fine. Um, <laughs> what I find really interesting about John Jameson, and I don't think there's ever really a great place to bring this up. Yeah. What I find interesting about John Jameson in this situation is in a matter of six months, John Jameson has become, if not the leader of this human revolution, a leading figure in the the revolution. Right. They really do listen and defer to him quite a bit. Yeah. I don't think that he necessarily is capital T, capital L, the leader, but something about him or the experience or things that have happened have allowed them to view him as a, a really important part of this revolution. And he's, he's, yeah. we see that he cares a lot about it uh, later on. So it's just like yeah. a strange sort of, sort of detail. It is interesting. I imagine the, I imagine the idea is that like he came from another planet where the humans are like the dominant race, I guess, dominant creature. I don't like saying dominant race. That sounds bad, but like the dominant like creatures on earth, mm-hmm. like he comes from that world. So I guess he can just be like, look, I've lived I've lived like as like the the thing in power like I and I guess that's like attractive to people like having this outside force coming in and being able to like tell them that it can actually be better because it is literally better on that planet across from the sun. Hmm. So interesting. Yeah, or not across from the sun, across. The I sun. haven't decided whether that makes me like John more or less. I, he's he, I'm, yeah, we'll it, it's, he's 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 hard to pin down. I have a hard time liking him because he's just like. The way that he's written and portrayed, it's just like macho leader, soldier man. And 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 I get like that's kind of out of necessity. I'll be interested to see if they do more with him. Yeah, I don't know that he's written to be likable, which is fine. I think as far as from a sort of philosophical standpoint, I don't know if I like 
him more or less knowing that it's or or like in the context of like I was at one point part of the powerful class and I'm seeing that we are not like because it could go one of two ways. Right. Yeah. Depending on, on what his motive is. Right. It could be, hey, I've I've seen that this doesn't have to be the case and, and I can I can be empowering or given that he was sort of the figurehead of this. Let's go fuck up counter earth because they blew up our satellite. Uh huh. It could also be, Hey, what the fuck? We're not supposed to be stepped on. Uh, we're better than, so it's, it's interesting. I will be curious to see, uh, if it plays out that he is looking to liberate or if he is looking to conquer, uh, I imagine it's more of a liberation thing. I I hope that's the case, but, uh, (laughs) I could see like the door is open for it to go either way. Which is very interesting. Yeah, it is kind of a- ambiguous, I think. Like, even if I'm pr- I'm sure it'll lean towards Liberator thing. Like, I, yeah. But, but yeah. yeah, it's kind of ambiguous. It is weird because I almost get, like, like white savior metaphor vibes a from bit. it a little bit. A little bit. A little bit, yeah. So it's like, that's why I was kind of, like, having a hard time trudging through when I was describing, like, what it meant for him to come from another Earth where, like, humans were, like, <laughs> the dominant race. Like, it feels – it's it's it all feels very strange and yeah. weird. And it's, like, that's the kind of tricky territory you're in when you're in, like, this kind of sci-fi. Yeah. And it's still – I mean, it's inherently – even if they're not trying to make it a metaphor, it's inherently going to be a metaphor for any kind of, like, minority or anyone who's in the lower class or anything. So, like, it's tricky, but, you yeah. know – they're they're dealing with it the best that I feel like they can at this point. Yeah, it's it's uh it's thought provoking in a fun way. I think I, I don't think it is. Uh, it's not yeah. distressing to think about, <laughs> like in yeah. the context through which they're they're sort of telling their story. So, right, uh, it's right. it's weird because you almost have to you almost have to try to separate it from context because so much of it relies on this idea that these bestials have been created to be a class in power. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. Like they <laughs> they themselves. Humans. So it's like it's weird. Yeah, like they themselves didn't rise to power. This is basically like a guy came in and played God, literally, uh-huh. like making just making his entire like race of creatures, and it's just like, yeah. okay, you're the good ones now, and you're the bad ones. Like mm-hmm. that's a crazy situation. Yeah, it's really it's 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 wild. I'm so excited to see how how they tell that story. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I I think the best thing to assume is that they tell it in the way that we expect it, but uh, still curious nonetheless. Yep. <laughs> Hello, amazing friends. We'd just like to take a minute to give a special thank you to our spectacular and up patrons, Gemma Nicole and Katie. And if you are interested in becoming a patron, check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash wallopingwebsnappers. We have three different tiers that you can opt into. The first of which is our $1 tier where you get early access to episodes, a bunch of Patreon-exclusive bonus episodes such as our Spider-Bite mini-episodes, you get to participate in our Walloping Word Snappers interactive improv game, and you get your own random villain alter ego. If you join us at our spectacular level at $5, you will get all previous rewards in addition to our monthly After Dark commentary episodes, a downloadable high-quality poster of our logo art, a personal on-air shout-out on each episode we record while you're a patron, and a Twitter shout-out and Twitter and Instagram follow once you become a patron. And if you really love what we're doing and you want to be a part of it, you can join our amazing tier at $30, where if you stick around at that amazing tier, you could guest on the episode. That's right. You could be on an episode of Walloping Web Snappers to talk about anything that you would like that is in the Spider-Man canon or mythos. 
So at the end of the day, it's you guys who lets us keep doing what we're doing. So thank you for that. No matter what level you're able to contribute, or if you're just an avid listener who's stopping by, trust us, your friendly neighborhood podcast hosts, thank you. Thanks. So elsewhere, after we get the sort of John Jameson revealing himself thing, we see a couple of bestial police officers who are stationed by the water. This is actually outside of just like background characters. I think this is the first we see of bestial folks just being folks. Yeah. Which is cool. It's certainly the first time we get bestials talking to one another in a sort of banal way. Mm-hmm. So they're just two police officers are stationed by the water and they observe uh, an unusual shape approaching the dock underneath the water. They decide to investigate that. And lo and behold, a submarine <laughs> emerges from the water. Uh, and those two officers are met by Venom and Carnage, who were, mm-hmm. I guess, driving a submarine. I guess, I guess, so. <laughs> Which I guess is so. Cute. Cute. <laughs> I wonder what they talked about. The synoptic. synoptic. Don't you love the synoptic? (laughs) Carnage pulls two of his tendrils from his body and he implants them into the officers. And Venom states, you know, I think he says, like, don't be worried or don't be concerned. Uh, There's no fear or pain, just desire to do it. The synoptic tells you to do, which Mm. begins to give us some sort of idea, although not clarity necessarily, but an idea of what the synoptic might mean. Not literally, but at least to Venom and Carnage. The fact that Carnage is actually pulling parts of his body off to create sort of spores, I think he refers to them later. Mm -hmm. And that somehow connects to this idea of the synoptic. Yeah, like a hive mind kind of situation. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so this show has everything we love because now it has some body horror happening. A little bit, yep. (laughs) (laughs) Because when they put the spores on these two guys it like creates like a it like goes into their body and then makes like what almost looks like tendrils that are like burrowed into their chest (laughs) like to the point that their body that their upper torso expands enough to like shred their shirts a bunch (sighs) and there's just and and their eyes go totally white so they're just like like i do like that's cool mind controlled yeah i like that too but yeah there's just like these like burrowed tendrils underneath their their Mm -hmm. bodies and it's so gross. <laughs> it's very, um, uh, I can never remember the name of the fungus, but it's very much like the fungus that takes over insects uh, and the way that that's oh. often portrayed, you know? Yes, yes. Uh, it's exactly like that. Uh, uh, although, you know, I, what were what were the um, what were the animal species of the officers? I forget. One of them, I think, was some sort of like lizard or fish type thing, right? I think he was supposed to be a fish man and then the other guy's a badger. A badger. Okay, yeah, that's right. The the, yeah. the um all of the mammals translate, I think, really well to the bestials. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other animals less mm-hmm. so. They fish could, people but they just are don't. All creepy. <laughs> Every yeah. fish person, because there's, there's different types of fish, of fish people. people. Mm-hmm. There's different types of them. Sometimes they do just like really big eyes and like super pursed lips oh, and like weird. But shaped there was head. the one person that was like a whole ass fish body, but it was the fish body was just the head. Do you remember that? Yeah, it was like a zebra fish, but like a zebra fish was the head, and then the body was just a body. Yeah, they do have an interesting like level of diversity, weirdly, in like (laughs) not just the types of animals, but like the way that the animals are mutated. It seems like Mm -hmm. the way that it translates into a human body. Yeah, (gasps) or humanoid body, I should say. Yeah, Yeah, very strange. I don't pity 
the like character designers and animators on this show because they are given a yeah. hefty task. <laughs> I hope they had fun with. It. I hope this was a fun thing for them. You know. Yeah, I hope so too. Whoever designed that uh, fish head person definitely was having fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, they they take over those the two security guards or policemen or whatever they are. Carnage expresses excitement about spreading these spores, and he's even like, "Oh, this wasn't long enough. It needs to be longer." Like, I guess he's still the serial killer guy, right? So he's sort of like uh. revel in their pain of taking them over and stuff. Venom reminds him that they've been given a job by the High Evolutionary, ever we- the professional that Venom. <laughs> yeah, and their job is to stop Spider Man. Uh, Carnage is like Spidey's a knockoff, probably. Uh, but Venom insists that if the Spider-Man they've been hired to stop is the Spider-Man, they know he'll be trouble for them later in their mission for Counter-Earth. Their mission being to have all of Counter-Earth, I guess, join the Synoptic. And uh, they are attempting to pull off this mission under the nose of the High Evolutionary. Yes, yes. So, huh. There's, there's layers there. Yeah. Uh, which is which is interesting. Yeah, we've got like yeah, we've already like episode two, we've already gotten like kind of multiple villain paths to be going yes. on, which is so cool. Conflicting villains is always the way to go. Villains yeah. with different motives. <laughs> yes. And again, and again, if you're looking for a superhero show, this isn't super superhero-y because this, this is very just like kind of future sci-fi because there doesn't seem like there's like a villain of the week being set up. It's like literally like alien invasion and then overthrow the emperor kind of storylines. So All like, my favorite shit. Right. I like it. But, but again, <laughs> if you were looking for a superhero show, I, I get why that's going to put you off because that's not for everybody. But this is why I'm saying this show deserves the look in 2020 because yeah. we have been primed to think of superhero stories being now a vehicle for other stories as opposed to the story itself. Good point. Maybe maybe it's it's purely the fact that this is just the right context to watch a show like this. Maybe it's still a show everyone hates. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We'll see. <laughs> Either way, there's definitely a lot of depth put into it, and it's worth taking a look at either way. Yes, yes, yes. I don't like Carnage's weird, almost sometimes pseudo-British accent that he kind of gives him. (laughs) Did you get that read? Like, I don't understand. Uh, His laugh is really good. And sometimes yeah. when, he's, when he's trying to be menacing, it's menacing. It's really good. But when he's like talking about the synoptic, and he's just like, "Oh, we will get, uh, we will take over all of Counter Earth." It's so weird. I, like I don't get what he's doing there. I, I have to admit that I have like a, a pretty strong bias against Carnage, with like not a ton of rationale. So when he's talking, I'm like listening to the words because I need them, but. <laughs> I don't know. I just don't pay that much attention to him. <laughs> His name is Cletus. Like, he's not going to have, like, like it no. feels like there. It's, he's it's supposed like a to weirdly... be like a white trash serial murderer, isn't he? Yeah. And I mean, even if you you don't have to give him like a full on like hillbilly accent or anything, but like the idea that he, he sounds weirdly posh sometimes. <laughs> and it doesn't seem like that that's what they're tr- what he's what the actor is trying to do. It just seems like that's what ends up coming out. And I don't hmm. know what he was trying to do in the first place. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll pay more attention. I'll get I'll get past my uh, <laughs> my carnage blinders or whatever it is. <laughs> I just I've never gotten it. I've read stories with carnage that I like. I just mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. I've grown to love Venom in a way that I didn't always uh, because mm-hmm. I think I learned more about Venom and I, 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 
I understand him better. I, sure. I guess I'm just at the same place with Carnage, except Carnage is supposed to be like the more extreme, edgy version of Venom, so it's harder to do. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Whatever. I don't think. There, I mean, I don't think there's that much to him ever. So, yeah, like, I, yeah I, I feel yeah. I've, I've never been super sold on on Carnage really, but I, I like Carnage in conjunction with Venom when they are having kind of like the weird push-pull relationship. Yeah. I don't care really about it here because they're just like buddies and it's kind of weird. Um, I but, like them best when they're enemies, personally. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, the synoptic thing obviously is some is sort of like a different scenario for them to like kind of be working together, I guess. So, like, if they kind of deal with that a little bit later and do have them spar yeah. a little bit and it makes their relationship a little caustic, I would be cool with it. Right now, they're just kind of like alien invaders, basically, is yeah. the, all, their whole shtick. The Body Snatchers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so back at the underground headquarters, John Jameson shoots at Spider-Man to prove that he's real. That's his, his first strategy. I'm just going to shoot okay, you, dude. and if you're Spider-Man, you'll dodge it. No one questions this. <laughs> yes. Everyone's cool with this. Uh, so he Spider-Man does. Spider-Man does dodge his laser thing. Uh, and so John Jameson's like, well, you move like Spider-Man, but are you really Spider-Man? So he quizzes him on the identity of the photographer who manages to get photos of Spider-Man, which is like kind of a funny little moment where Spider-Man pretends to only barely remember Peter Parker's name. We get it. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's it's fine. It is what it is. I get why they do it. I can appreciate it. Yeah. Um, but this this whole testing of who Spider-Man thing is is kind of obnoxious. But I think it's meant to be. It's meant to be, but it, it does feel like it goes on a little too long, like, at this point. <laughs> yeah. This is an overthinking, way overthinking it thing. But in Spider-Man's head, assuming that everything went perfectly, so, like, he gets to Counter-Earth, finds John Jameson, and then just, like, John Jameson's like, yes, let's go home, and they fly right back. Spider-Man told the world that Peter mm-hmm. Parker was with him, and Peter said that he was with him. And now with John Jameson, he's acting like he doesn't, he barely knows Peter Parker's name, and is not telling him that that Peter Parker is there. So if everything, everything went well, then Peter would have to find some way to explain to John Jameson. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like why, where Peter was. Well, John Jameson can't corroborate the fact that Peter Parker was ever there. Right. So I feel like he's put himself into a position where he's going to have to tell John Jameson his identity by the time that they head back to earth. Oh my gosh. If that actually happens, that's kind of incredible. It would be cool. I, I mean, I'm not expecting it because I think I think it's uh, like you said, it might be overthinking it. I think that's mm-hmm. probably the case. But like, wow, if that actually happens, yeah. uh, I mean, that's I do. Incredible. I would <laughs> because he, how is he going to get the pictures? It's, presumably, that's why Peter Parker's there in the first place. Right. Right. Is to document what's going on. Right. How is Spider-Man going to get Peter Parker pictures with John Jameson? If they can't both be present. <laughs> right. There's no way out of this without John eventually finding out who he is. And yeah. I'm sure that it doesn't happen in the show, but I do like, I would like to think that in the extended version of it after the end, I mean, they will have been fighting alongside each other in like a mm-hmm. human rebellion to like, <laughs> to, to like overthrow the ruling class and like liberate a world. I feel like John will have earned the opportunity or earned the right to know who Spider-Man's identity is. There you go. Well, hey, that's, uh, you know, since we know that we don't get the conclusion, that's, uh, that's the fanfic right there. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Also, John has a half moon tattoo on his arm. He does. He does. And it's, it's, uh, I, I couldn't decide if it's a tattoo or a scar. Oh yeah, that's true. It could be, it could be a scar too. I don't know. Cause the color of it isn't 
abundantly clarifying. Yeah. So I was leaning towards Scar, but it's a little too clear. So I could see it being a moon. He is also an astronaut, right? Presumably he's an astronaut in this just as much as anywhere else. Uh, He is the first one to go to counter Earth. So maybe Mm -hmm. that's all that is. Yeah. The fact that the show is willing to give so many people tattoos, though. Oh, God, I know. I love it. it. (laughs) (laughs) Tattoo friendly Spider-Man cartoon. Yes. Yes. Into it. Yeah, so once after the very obnoxious uh, setup of of John, like, actually confirming, like, I guess you're the real Spider-Man, they're kind of interrupted when a bunch, uh, like, a shit ton of bestials with the spore carnage attached to them repel into the base and attack. Yeah, because they can't hide their base. (laughs) Yeah. They're bad at it. (laughs) Uh, So enter Lady Vermin, and she attacks John Jameson, but Spider-Man intervenes drawing her attention to a fight with Spider-Man. When she manages to pin him, she like full open mouth, full fang, kisses him directly on his mask. Ugh, like she growls at him first, bears her super sharp teeth at him, uh-huh. makes it look like she's going to bite him, and then uh-huh. yeah, puts her entire mouth on his mask where his mouth is and like full on kisses him. I'm sure she like stuck uh-huh. her tongue as deep into that mask as she could too. I really thought that this was going to be something other than a really, like, weird kiss, but it wasn't. That's what it was, right? Yeah. Like, that's yeah. all it was. That's all it was. Because <laughs> Spidey's just, like, grossed out by it. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Kissed by a rat lady, and she's just like, ooh, thank you. It was nice for me, too. <laughs> I love her. She's my favorite knight. She's really fun. She's so fun. I-, I-, I definitely see Tiger a little more fully with with what you were talking about earlier, but Lady Vermin's definitely my favorite. Yeah. She's, well, because she doesn't awesome. even, like, I'm fine with, she never she never has to change. She, she I'm cool if she yeah. never has any kind of arc or whatever. Yeah. She's just fun. Because it's sort of, they're playing on, like, kind of, like, the black cat kind of energy. But, mm-hmm. like, because she's, like, a villain who Spider-Man views as, like, actually gross, it's, like, really comical. But, like, she owns it so much. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And gross without being gross you know what i mean yeah, like, she is like a just hot that, like, model you know yes. like she's a hot character model like intentionally yes. i like that i like that they didn't make her some sort of like overtly sexual but like conventionally unattractive or like mangled character like she is yeah. she is hot she is called beautiful or like in the first episode i believe she's introduced as a bombshell or something like that right uh, with similar terminology and it, it is definitely understood that she is hot and spider-man is disgusted by her <laughs> Right. And I love that dynamic so much. (laughs) (laughs) It's good. It's good. Yep. Yep. So while this brawl is going on, a member of the human revolution is revealed to have superpowers. Mm -hmm. I do remember this guy from watching the first time. Oh, I did not at all. I, I do. I do remember him be, because his power is so crazy. Like it's it's hard to tell in this one. And honestly, I don't remember like what his actual like real power is supposed to be. But like it's very either unclear he's, to me. Yeah, because like he's the student's covered all in bandage, bandages with some hair sticking out, sunglasses, and then clothes. And then we see like his clothes and sunglasses and stuff fall to the ground. The bandages like flow through the grate under, move and then reform behind the his attackers. And then like this group of bandages in human form, essentially, or mm-hmm. in human shape, I should say, like attacks. So either he's like invisible and can telekinetically control the bandages, or he is the collection of bandages and can move independently. I I honestly don't remember. I do remember that they address it later. But I just don't I don't remember anything like about it. And it's but either way, it's cool as shit. It's cool as shit. But it's so it's baffling because 
all I can sort of imagine is that he is basically a, a telekinetic entity. I, I, I have a hard time believing he is the bandages, but he can't just be an invisible man because yeah. he uses his ability to move through the bandages to escape a situation. Yeah. So he, he clearly doesn't have a, a invisible corporeal body. Yeah. It's, it's And actually, it's, I also just... Oh, go ahead, go ahead. No, I, I'm just, I'm, uh, that's all. I'm, I'm like, I can't figure out what he is. He could be a poltergeist, you know, but I yeah. doubt it. <laughs> Which is cool. It's, it's funny that it's so underplayed. Like, no one mentions yeah, it. You I know. Sh- no one introduces him. You just see it happen and you're like, okay, um, all right. I, so all right. I saw that happen, right, the first time. And then I, when I, when I went to watch it the second time, I was like, okay, I need to pay very close attention to see if I have been missing the fact that all these rebels have powers. Cause I thought like, Oh, maybe I was not paying enough attention and they all have something about them that is, that is nonchalantly displayed. No, Nope. Nope. Just him. So (laughs) So far. I don't know. And I just, I mean, you get so little about him. I just realized like I've been using he pronouns for him and I feel like, cause I remember it being a, a he like later in the show vaguely, but I can't tell you for sure. And yeah. cause like I saw that you use like singular they in the show notes and it's I like, yeah, don't you're know right. Anything about them. They don't, you don't hear a <laughs> voice. You don't, no one, no one refers, refers to him. I'm pretty sure. Sh- I think it's a him, but the fact that I'm, I'm unsure, I think says how crazy it is that they just like yeah. throw a character in there without any introduction like that. Yeah. I, I, tr- I, I trust 1999 to have made this a male character based solely on the shape of this character's sure. presentation. But yeah, I don't know. You, you don't, you never hear them. You never get any information about them. No one uses a name for them. Like it's, it's, <laughs> it's very, it's very, very funny, very funny. And that's the character yeah. I was referring to earlier that like a significant thing happens with them in this episode, but, I don't have any information to even talk about them with. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't know yeah. what to call them. What a cool, like crazy group of characters yeah. they have here. I'm so excited. I'm I'm so excited uh, yeah. to, to meet them. Yes. Yes. So uh, unfortunately, as cool as that is, Venom and Carnage appear. Yes. And Carnage pursues John. Venom, meanwhile, attempts to envelop and merge with Spider-Man. Like, it's weird. They, he So this version of him, it's, I feel like this version of Venom and Carnage, it's like whatever the synoptic deal is, the symbiotes have almost taken over the human host more than usual because mm-hmm. Venom doesn't hate Spider-Man. He's like, we want you back as part of us, like we've missed you or whatever, which the symbiote thinks that. We know that from every version of Venom that the uh-huh. symbiote thinks that, but having Eddie Brock as part of him... Eddie doesn't feel like that. And so right. if they were working in, in sync normally, they're just going to fight Spider-Man. But the fact that like, it's just Venom and there's no, no internal battling about this. It's just like, Oh yeah, come to us. It should have always been like this. It should have always been you Spider-Man inside of me. Like it almost makes you like wonder like what the state of the hosts are, are mm-hmm. Eddie Brock and Cletus Cassidy even inside of them right now? Like what's, I, I what's think going that on? is a valid question to ask because this episode these two episodes do not ever make it clear and sort of throw you off the scent of believing that there are human hosts anywhere inside of these symbiotes because yeah. the way that, that Spider-Man talks about them doing things they've never done before, the fact that they so frequently sort of liquefy themselves in a way that I, I don't think is impossible based on precedent to do with human hosts, but is certainly weird and uncomfortable to think about. 
mm-hmm. uh, with a human host? I think it's a totally valid question to wonder if Eddie and Cletus are even there. Uh, yeah. And if they are, in, in what condition? <laughs> yes. And I will say, I remember one of the answers to the questions, but I don't remember like the context for it or anything, which makes me even more excited because it's just like, there's so, because these are things that I didn't think about when I was a kid. I just, you know, but it's, yeah, it's just even knowing the little bit that I can remember without the context around it. It's like this show purposely raised so many fascinating questions and they don't feel like plot holes or anything. They no. feel like they are very intentional, setting up some cool mysteries to be addressed later. Yeah. I um, I don't have answers to those Venom and Carnage questions. I do have information that is related to casting that doesn't answer those questions, but mm. does present other questions or at least provide certain information. So I'm very curious, based on just looking up casting stuff. Right what Venom and Carnage are in this series, I guess is the only way I can put it. Yes, yes. Because I didn't want to look too far into any particular names that I saw or how any particular casting breakdowns worked. Right, right. Yeah, I know. I Yeah, I get what you mean, though. (laughs) It'll be, uh, yeah. I You know, going into this, I didn't think about how, I didn't, I didn't remember how many show, how many things were sort of like left, kind of left hanging or left in the dark or or left as a mystery. Mm -hmm. So like I was, I wasn't even thinking about this being one of those like shows that, that we try to like avoid spoilers for or anything. Yeah. But now I'm just sort of like excited because I, like I said, I know that I know things, but I remember so little of it that like, I'm kind of as in that almost as in the dark as, as, as you are for the really good shows. Sometimes it's just really exciting Uh because I haven't really been able to be (laughs) in that position yet. So that's fun. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So let's see here. Um, let's see. We talked about invisible person or bandage person or poltergeist person. Uh, we talked about Venom. Oh, yeah. So I, I really like the things that Venom is saying to Spider-Man because it very firmly establishes and reiterates the fact that they have already been together, one one might say. So yeah. uh, that is not not ambiguous that's very clear uh that this is a post uh, symbiote story which would make sense simply by the existence of venom but it's nice to have that explicitly spelled out yeah like there's no there's no indication of like what store spider-man stories have been told or like what you know the continuity is or anything so mm-hmm. it's nice whenever they give references to like yes that classic spider-man story did happen yes yes so uh this peter parker is well aware of what it would mean to merge with venom and presumably wants nothing to do with it. Uh, not even presumably, very clearly, because we get at this point one of the measures that that Peter Parker took in creating his new suit that warrant him qualifying it as an anti-symbiote suit. Venom sort of like does manage to envelop Spider-Man's whole body, but Spider-Man adorably pokes his head out of the symbiote <laughs> like he's uh, coming up from taking a deep breath underwater. <laughs> And then activates what he calls a sonic defense, and uh, it, it basically his whole suit, I guess, emits a a sonic frequency that is uh, unpleasant or straight up dangerous to the symbiotes. Yes, yes, cool, cool deal, good mm-hmm, job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so naturally, they retreat. Uh, they they get on out of there because they can't they can't take it, uh, and the spore affected bestials actually become rid of their spores as a result of this, which is a good thing to know. Uh, yeah. is possible and and seemingly are uh, not unaffected but but are are 
alive uh, and regain their their sort of consciousness and ability to control their own bodies, which is nice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So once this dust is settled, the humans put the bestials behind bars in their headquarters. John is very quick to be like, all right, well, uh, now we're just going to kill him. Yo. <laughs> this whole sequence Yo. is like, shit, man. This, this show gets real like uh-huh. so quickly. Yep, yep, yep. It's it's not it's not implied either. It is very yeah. explicitly uh, the intention of John Jameson to execute the bestial prisoners. They say the word kill. Mm-hmm. They can use the word kill on this show. Uh-huh. <laughs> I can't I can't wait for them to use the word blood 132 times <laughs> in any context that they want. <laughs> 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 oh no he made me shed plasma <laughs> i'm leaking plasma from my wound <laughs> oh man yeah so yeah john wants to kill him <laughs> spider-man's like dude what the fuck is wrong with you uh-huh they're literally just like scared people in a cage so john and john's whole like john's whole thought process his rationalization i should say is that like the headquarters has been compromised because they've all seen it. And Spider-Man's like, everybody has, dude. Like, come on. What do you – Lady Verbum was here and she left. Like, Venom and Carnage were here and they left. Like, it's already compromised. Yeah. But, I mean, I feel like that's that's John's rationalization. He's just, like, full-on, like, anger mode and wants to kill everything. Yeah. We don't really know what happened in the six months that uh, that he was on Counter-Earth before Spider-Man got there. But it's reasonable to believe that it's stuff that just made him angrier and angrier. And – he started off this show angry anyway, and it seems like that's just kind of a character trait in this version of John. So. Yeah, that's why I think the door is still open to the potential for John to not necessarily be just purely a liberator of the oppressed. Right, right. Like, he wants to take them all out. But mm-hmm. luckily, Spider-Man does convince him that there's no reason, there's no purpose to doing that. Um, so they might as well just leave him there and find a new location for their headquarters. Yes, this decision does upset Bromley. This is where we get a little bit of an indication that there's more to Bromley than just being the explosions guy. Um, And he actually storms off when John agrees to not execute the prisoners. Spider-Man warns the group of keeping somebody like Bromley around. And Karen says, like, no, like, if you knew what Bromley had been through, and I think explicitly says, if you knew what they did to his family, (sighs) uh, you would... Not just understand Bromley's position, but you might actually condone it, which actually says something about Karen, too, I think, even though it is meant to be about Bromley mm-hmm. and the uh, the bestials or at least the high evolutionary or high evolutionary. Is that what he's called? Yeah, the high evolutionary. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it, it creates this scenario where you have this rebel force that has sort of been put through enough to be able to rationalize some of these things. It's not just John. It's not just Bromley. Karen even is saying like, you might actually kind of get it if you knew some of the things they did. So damn. 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 Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It's some deep, dark shit going on here right off the bat. Uh Uh-huh. Outside, Spider-Man learns that, um, he's basically just kind of like, all right, I'm here. Let's, uh, let's go back to earth. Johnny boy. John will not return to Earth, which I feel like Spider-Man should have seen coming. Um, right? I guess he still had his hope. He, I think he still had his hopes up that he could sure. go home. Because he's still not really bought into this human revolution thing. Right. Which, you know, Spider-Man's never been involved in this type of thing before. Like, if he's a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, it is a hard sell for him 
to just be like a leader in a re- in a giant like planetary Plan- yeah. rebellion. Like I <laughs> yeah. get why that is feels a little bit stressful and overwhelming. A little bit, a little bit. <laughs> Came here to do one thing, John. <laughs> Not the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> right, 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 right. But yes, yeah, so but John's like, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna liberate the entire Earth and liberate the humans. And uh, Spider Man's like, you sound like Trotsky, bro. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, let's bring a little bit of Marxism into this show. Let's yeah. do that. <laughs> weird. It's so. I mean, it's not. A, it's not a weird reference. It's just no, like it's, it's the, actually a really good one. <laughs> on point. It's just the fact that like this show is making that deliberate of a reference, continuing to make those that deliberate of, of references. Yeah. To these old like philosophers and scholars and and everything. So. Yeah. Yeah, very interesting. But um, but yeah, but then John also points out the thing that Spider-Man should have like thought about is that it's just like, well, even if I wanted to leave, like where, how? <laughs> one ship crashed, the other one was uh, was taken by the Knights of Wonderlore. So like, there's literally no way to get home right now, buddy. Yeah, I like yeah. that both of them sort of have moments where they present a more rational perspective to each other. Yes, uh, I didn't think about it until this moment, but but you know, John does. I mean, they're definitely to different degrees. John is convinced through reason not to execute a whole <laughs> whole prison cell full of sentient beings. And <laughs> Spider-Man is convinced through reason to uh, at least understand why John isn't running off with him right away. Right, right, right. So that's, that's cool. So John asks Spider-Man to join their revolution. Uh, Karen mentions in her supporting this ask something called tagging, which was mentioned earlier too, but sort of uh, in passing. Now that they're not in the middle of a battle or like running from the knights, Spider-Man's like, hey, that thing you said, tagging, you've said that before. What's that all about? And they explain that every human on Counter-Earth are actually chipped in order for the high evolutionary to track them. Uh, And Karen says that having Spider-Man, an untagged superhero on their side, could be a massive asset. She also mentions that the revolutionaries have figured out a way to at least like – I don't know the full extent to which they've figured out how to not be tracked. Yeah, they uh, said that they. John says that like they can that it, that they can mask their their tracking or like or block it sometimes. Like he says right. that it works most of the time. Right. So there's still a disparity between what they manage to do and somebody who purely is untagged. That's why they're so Karen especially is so uh, interested in having Spider Man join them. Mm-hmm. Um, but Spider-Man says no. Spider-Man compares it to the storming of the, is it the Bastille? Yes, yes, <laughs> And the yes. French Revolution. Again, Another man, historical references. Uh, Fascinating. Yep. French Revolution, also a very interesting choice, and says that Counter-Earth is not his planet to save, which, damn, dude. you might have thought it you didn't have to say it (laughs) yeah he does not come across great here but again i get it like yeah oh for sure it's it's not a thing i mean we don't even know what the spider-man's history is like he might have never been in any type of like of the major like secret wars or whatever you know like this could literally be one that has only ever fought like doc ock and green goblin a couple of times and the biggest threat was like venom because he was an alien and that's it you know like yeah, it's 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 fascinating. Yeah, well, and even if there were sort of like planetary threats, Spider-Man is frequently somebody who doesn't join teams and and keeps to his neighborhoodly sort of uh, approach. So even if the Avengers do exist, even if there are you know planetary wide things, he might not be someone who's ever viewed himself as somebody who should be involved. Yeah, yeah, like he's not a hero. He doesn't. He does not a hero on that level. Which is the interesting concept of the show, I guess, is that it's sort of like what happens if. 
Spider-Man, a Spider-Man who is not a team player and who is just a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man gets involved in like a planetary revolution. Like that's crazy. Uh But like what happens when he's in that scenario? What does that do to him? After deciding to basically retire from being Spider-Man aside from this particular mission. Right. And it's just like, this is my one last job. I was just one day before retirement. Now i got to save an entire planet. Oh, man, that sucks. <laughs> and so it's not even like an easy, and it's not even an easy take down a big bad, like save a planet from right. save a planet. It's like a complicated, like upheaval of an entire ruling class. Like, uh-huh. <laughs> what do you do? <laughs> right. Well, as a result of this, John accuses him of being a coward and Spider-Man begins to sort of angrily re- angrily angrily respond back before karen hands him a duffel bag karen just like getting in between these two big dudes uh like it's no big thing yeah uh, i do like hands, that yeah me too uh but hands him a duffel bag with clothes and money and she says that the contents of the bag will help him navigate counter earth while he figures out a way back home and also hopes that his ability to navigate counter earth as just like a human civilian will mm-hmm. also help him see that that it's a fight worth tackling or a cause worth fighting for. Obviously, like, that doesn't mean anything to him now, but he does accept the bag and, you know, says thanks and, and flips off. Yep, yep. After he changes into civilian clothes, um, this is, I don't think, very... Actually, I think it says it's, like, two days later, isn't it? Which is kind of weird. What were you doing? Oh, did last... it? I didn't even yeah. catch that. I thought it was very strange. I, I, I had to look to see that the next episode hadn't started because <laughs> it was such a difference in what was going on. I guess they wanted to like very quickly just like set what the kind of status quo was going to be going forward. Yeah. But it is like, what were you doing for the past two days, buddy? We feel like we missed wow, a lot. I really didn't realize it was two days. Holy shit. Yeah. Yeah. So he's in his civilian clothes and he witnesses a robot attack a human child on the street. Um, basically, its programming got jumbled after it collided with a vehicle. And Peter tackles the robot to save the kid. He rips out a bunch of like wires and stuff from its body to like halt its attack, uh, but burns his hands in the process. <laughs> <laughs> Which, so funny. I like the detail of it, though, because, you know, if he's not in his protective Spider-Man gear, like that's going to happen if you're fighting a robot. Yeah, I just like that he he looks at his hands and they're like sort of... <laughs> like uh not glowing but they're just like very obviously like some sort of burnt like uh yeah. skin color <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> Like, ouch. <laughs> There's a woman who witnessed this confrontation, um, which we later realized was actually the kid's brother. Uh, uh, brother. <laughs> what? <laughs> That's complicated. <laughs> <laughs> um, There's a woman who witnessed this confrontation, which we learned very shortly was the kid's uh, mother. So she invites Peter in, tells him that she's a doctor so she can bandage his burns as a thank you for saving her son. Mm-hmm. Her name is Naoko, and the boy is her son, Shane. And uh, this was very lucky that all of this went down because uh, Naoko actually had a spare room upstairs to rent. And Peter is, of course, uh, stranded on this planet with no place to live. So <laughs> he uh, he agrees to rent a room from her. And after they leave the room, Peter vows to return to MJ, which is how we leave off this pilot. Yes, yes. yes. Naoko, Naoko offers the first two weeks rent free. Did you catch yeah. that? Yeah, to, cause, to cause, give him time to find a job. Which is so nice of her. Yeah. And it's a fucking huge room, too, that's mm-hmm. already, like, furnished. It's funny because they do, like, this little cut where, like, she offers him a room and he's happy. And then they do, like, a crossfade. And, like, he's, like, slightly sadder upon seeing the room. But the room <laughs> is awesome. Like, yeah. there's a stocked bookcase and stuff uh-huh. in there. Like, For real. come on, man. <laughs> mm-hmm. We've seen your movie room. 
It's much better than your movie apartment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I uh, think it's... you know, if this is in fact a sequel, <laughs> I'm going to start I'm going to start some fights. If this is in fact a sequel, he uh he lived in Harry's penthouse for a whole like day and a half. So, spoiled <laughs> now. Full yeah, that fully furnished penthouse that, that was going to be like free <laughs> <Yeah>. rent. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. I love that presumably Naoko is like an Asian woman and her son looks to be like biracial. Like he's like, looks like he's like, he's, he's Brown. I think, I feel like, I feel like he's supposed to be half black if I remember correctly, but even if he's not like, he's clearly like meant to be biracial. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which is very cool. Yeah. Wasn't expecting it. Yeah. I I mean, it's the type of thing that you might, you might expect from sci-fi stuff, but I wouldn't have expected from Spider-Man stuff, especially Spider-Man stuff that is, sort of explicitly not meant to be the future, even though we can Mm -hmm. sort of derive that from Um, Mm Counter-Earth. It's cool that they they did that. Yes. Also, potentially a single mom. I'm not really sure because I don't know if we do meet like uh, Shane's uh, other parent, but at least least in the introduction appears to be a single mom. Yeah, yeah. I like them. I'm excited to see more of them. Me Um, too. I know that we definitely will because there are – where he lives now, so <laughs> um, what's less cool than them is Peter's outfit, his future Counter Earth outfit. It's just like a regular like trench coat and, and baggy pants because everybody wears trench coats in the show. But he has it off when uh, Naoko's bandaging up his burns, and he's wearing like a short sleeve turtleneck sweater. <laughs> <laughs> It is so dorky, and it, and even it's even made even worse by the fact that it is like tucked into like the baggiest jeans on the planet. <laughs> In a weird way, like yeah. they're they're like especially baggy from like the knee down, if I recall. Yes, like it's it's like to the point that it's like super wrinkled. Like they're almost yeah. like reminiscent of like Jinko jeans or something. Oh, it's like yes. very strange. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I'm very pro Counter Earth. If we're all gonna go out and get some Janko jeans, mm, I'm not. I'm very anti Counter Earth. <laughs> so much room. Um, that's not what I need in a pair of pants. I don't need room. It's <laughs> not what I'm asking for. If I wanted room in my like bottoms, I would just get a dress. Like I don't. <laughs> why do you need that? Yeah, but you could have two dresses, one on each leg. <laughs> <laughs> oh god cool that's like the worst description i've ever heard of, of jinko jeans it's two, like two dresses on each leg <laughs> but perhaps the most accurate yeah probably <laughs> have you ever wanted to wear a whole ass denim skirt on each one of your legs jinko jeans <sighs> okay yeah cool Face of the episode. <laughs> it's uh, Lord Tiger after High Evolutionaries told him to like skedaddle that he's not going to be able to do some cool heroic assisting. But his face, like he's supposed to just be mad. like, But he's like scrunching up his nose and stuff in a way that like looks like he smells something very stinky. Yeah, a little snarly, but not quite yeah. full snarl. So someone definitely just farted in the room. Yes, yes. And he is unhappy about it. Mm-hmm. Yes. Probably has good, good uh, sense of smell too. Probably so. Yeah, I imagine we'll get some, like, animal people or bestials that have, like, different characteristics based on the animal that they are. Like, essentially, like, their own little mini superpowers. I for... hope so. Yeah. That'd like would be a huge sense. disappointment if not. Yeah, yeah. We'll see. We'll see. We shall see. Man, I'm excited. Me too. I'm excited with reason now, too. Like, not yeah. just the fact that it looked cool. I'm, I'm excited for what it actually sets out to do. 
Yeah. I went into this feeling like open-minded given the elements of it that I knew were there, like the cyberpunk stuff, the interesting character models, like all the furries. Like I was like, it's possible that I might actually like this show now. And I was still, even going in with that expectation, I was still surprised by how much I actually really loved it because there is a crazy amount of depth happening Mm -hmm. that I've never heard anybody talk about with it. Even when people are trying to, like, talk about the merits of it, it's always like, oh, you know, it looked kind of cool. Like, that's always what it was. And other than that, it's just, like, totally reviled. And it's, like, actually, like, a really well-written show. You just have to, you know, get past the concept if you're not into it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I I, I get not liking the concept, but I think if you're you're willing to pay enough attention, you can find the merits that, that it absolutely deserves recognition for. Yeah, yeah. And I just hope it, it keeps all that up moving forward. I don't yeah, I guess see why they wouldn't. Um, that's the question, though, once it's know. all set up. Yeah, once it's all set up, like, are they moving forward? Are they going to kind of keep up with these heavy themes or anything? Or are they going to get, like, kind of stuck in any kind of rut? But, like, the fact that they've set up so many of these interesting mysteries and everything makes you really feel like they're going to kind of keep up. Because there's a lot of backstories that they need that they will need to delve into right. that seem like there's going to be have some heft to them potentially. I suppose um, a big concern would be that they anticipated a longer life for the show than obviously they got, which I assume they did. And so we may end up in the short 13 episode run end up getting episodes that feel less satisfying knowing that we have a limited amount of time with this world. So maybe we get stuff that is purely meant to further inform the environment, further inform social dynamics, further inform things that are really valuable, but on a limited fuse feel like they're wasting time. Luckily, you and I watched the show in such a way that I don't think those will be missed on us, but I could understand why those types of things might end up not working well for people who are going and giving this a shot after the fact. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Cool. Well, if you would like to hear more of our thoughts, sometimes not the normal thoughts that people have on things. Um, I Nailed I, I, it. Uh, I had a better – I the pivot was in my head, but it just, like, did not <laughs> deliver. Yeah, if you want to hear more of our thoughts on anything, you can hear more of them on <laughs> Patreon uh, where we have lots of other – lots of bonus episodes where we cover different stuff, sometimes Spider-Man related, sometimes just tangentially Spider-Man related. We definitely already have some things in mind that we want to do to tie into Spider-Man Unlimited that will hopefully be coming out, if not soon, then before the end of the run in the next couple of months. So definitely check in with us um, at any level. You get lots of goodies that is at patreon.com slash walloping web snappers in the meantime if you'd like to find more of us individually where can we find you doug you can find me on twitter at ikibuli i-c-k-y-b-o-o-l-e-y and you can find me on another podcast here on the four-eyed radio network called victory road a pokemon podcast where my co-host kyle and i talk about pokemon just as we feel like it where can people find what you are doing derek you can find me on Twitter at Derek B. Gale. You can also find me on YouTube under my video essay series, Second Chance, which looks at bad or divisive media from a positive lens, kind of like how we're looking at Spider-Man Unlimited right now. Whoa. 
<laughs> Otherwise, find more of our show, Walloping Web Snappers, on social media, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. All of those are at Walloping Web Pod. We post lots of goodies, faces of the episode, and other things. And uh, feel free to communicate with us there or by emailing us at wallopingwebsnapperspodcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear your counter to why even among re- even on rewatch you hate Spider-Man Unlimited and think we're all wrong. I'll be very fascinated to hear why even the things that we've found from it mean it's not good. To each his own. Uh, we'll see. Or you can tell if I were right. That's fine too. Either yeah. way, you can uh, you can also do that by rate reviewing and subscribing to us on Apple Podcasts and tell us what you think of us by writing a review or giving us a rating. It is the best way for people to find our podcast when they're searching for Spider-Man podcasts because there are a lot out there, but I am positive that not a single damn one of them is talking about Spider-Man Unlimited with the depth that we are talking about it right now. <laughs> so please do that to help people find us. And next week, we are going to continue on Counter-Earth as Spider-Man meets a Counter-Earth version of a famous villain in Where Evil Nests. Huh, I wonder who that could be. (laughs) If you you let Disney Plus autoplay, you'll know exactly who it is. (laughs) Perfect. Bye. Bye. Oh, well.